this is a joy. When, when I saw uh, Mr. Thiessen calling me at Monday at 3.16, I thought, oh, this is nice. So it's a joy for me to be up here. This is a true honor. I get to preach the Bible. I get to represent God before you. And yet at the same time, it's a terror uh, because I'm representing God. And so I don't take this lightly. And so if you would, please pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we search your word and as we see our plight and as we see our need and as we see our deadness and as we see how we have been taken captive by this world and taken captive by Satan and under your righteous and holy wrath, O oh God, may the good news of but God made us alive together with him, may that just resonate with our hearts this morning. In a, in a rainy day, in a, in a cold, dark day, I pray, Father, for the light of your gospel to shine in this very room, that Christ would be made much of, that the Father would be seen and savored, and that the Spirit would come and illumine the Word that is, as it is preached. And so, Father, I pray, would you be glorified? Would you, would you lift your Son up now? Let me pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And I think other chapel speakers have had you do this, but I'm going to have you do this. Uh, If you would, please, as you get to Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to stand as we read the word uh, out of respect to the God of this word. So let's stand. We'll read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. I'm reading from the ESV, so if it doesn't correlate with yours, just understand that's my translation that I'm reading from. Chapter 2, verse 1 begins with, And you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace... You have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. All right, if you would, please be seated. There's a famous pastor a long-ish time ago named James Montgomery Boyce. And he once said that worship is like a teeter-totter. 
Okay, you all, you all know those things. They haven't been banned yet from all of our playgrounds. It's like a teeter-totter, and God's on one side and man's on the other side. And what he said was, is as, as God is elevated, man takes a seat. Man goes down. God is elevated, man goes down. But the opposite is also true. As man is elevated, and the, and the extravagance of how great you are is elevated, then God is put low. And what Paul does here is he absolutely decimates you. Okay? So if you came here on a Tuesday morning of chapel after a nice three-day weekend and you came in here hoping for a self-esteem boost, a little pep rally to get some pep in your step, wrong chapel speaker because the Bible won't let me do it. The Bible will not let me pump you up about how great you are. It doesn't. But, if you are in Christ this morning, oh, for you to see who you are in Christ this morning, that will elevate not your self-esteem, but your esteem for who God is and what God has done for you. Okay, so that's, that's where we're going to go. Um, and I just as I was just reading this passage last night and this morning, it's just unbelievable. So let's look at verses one through three, and I'm gonna give you the bad news. So here's the bad news. If you want to head your paper or whatever outline, bad news. Verses one through three, really, really bad news. And if you follow the course of thought with the Apostle Paul, it's a downward spiral of bad news, okay? So let's, let's go through this. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So you're dead. You were then following the course of this world. You are like a jellyfish or if you go to the Platte River, a piece of trash just kind of flowing downstream with the world. You're following the course of the world. Wherever the world goes, you go. You follow the course of this world. It gets even worse then. You... Follow the prince of the power of the air. So now, not only are you following this world, you're now following Satan. Happy Tuesday. Among whom, oh sorry, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And were by nature, here's the real, real bad news, by nature children of wrath. This is such a bleak, bleak picture. The first three verses of Ephesians chapter 2 are horrific. There are almost few verses in Scripture more terrifying than these three verses. And I just want to put this reality before you. If you are not in Christ, this is you. This is you. You're either in Christ or you're this. It's not, I'm kind of in the middle. There's no middle. You're either in Christ or you're dead in sins and trespasses, following the course of this world, in bondage to Satan, and rightly deserving the wrath of God. And so I, I think it is in the providence of God that the chapel speaker got sick yesterday and, and Gordon Thiessen shot me a text 
And the thing that I've been mulling over a lot is Ephesians chapter 2. And I just thought, oh, I'm going to plead with you. If you're not in Christ, I'm pleading with you. I'm, I'm crying out to you. Run. Flee. Flee this dead world. Flee the course of this world. Flee the bondage of Satan. Flee being a child of wrath and run to Christ. And for you Christians, I'm here to remind you of what you too once were. I think we as Christians every once in a while have a, a misperception. And we think, well, you know what? All those, all those non-Christians, they're on the junior varsity. Actually, no, they're junior high. Me? I'm not just varsity. I'm like the varsity quarterback. Sorry, Borson. I'm the varsity quarterback. And I'm the, I'm, I'm the man. Of course God would choose me. Look at how great I am. Look at how awesome I am. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the quarterback, man. You puff your chest out. The reality is, you can't do that. You once were Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. That's who you used to be. So you can't just go puff your chest out. Oh, look at me. Look at how great I was. No. The Bible is so clear. Every single one of us was in this group. Dead in sin and trespasses, following the course of this world, following Satan in bondage to him, chasing our own desires, chasing our own passions, and rightfully under the wrath of God. And if I just said amen, let's pray, all of you, I hope, would be brought to complete despair. But thankfully, Paul doesn't leave us there, and I'm not going to leave us there. There is some incredible news. Verse 4, the first two words, but God. But God. This, this similar sort of phraseology happens also in Romans chapter 5 where, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But God, the two greatest words in the Bible, but God. In, in absolute hopelessness, where Paul has left you, in absolute helplessness, you are in deep, 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 deep trouble, but God. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Imagine you went to a doctor this morning and, and there was a lump on your head and the doctor looked at you after doing a CAT scan and an MRI and said, um, Noah, I'm really sorry, it's cancer. But it's operable. But we can do radiation. But it's not terminal. You're not going to die because of it. Doesn't that change the sentence a little bit? Just radically changes it. I have cancer, uh-oh, but, oh, good. I need that. Take it the other side. Honey, you're a great husband. You're a great father to our children, but 
And you all laugh because you know how that, how that is. The, the but in the middle of the sentence kind of takes all of the stuff that came before it and just goes, vroom, just takes a machete right through it. Vroom. And that's what Paul's doing here. You are dead, but God. And let's see what God does. We're going to skip a couple of words here and we're going to slip down to verse 5. We're going to come back to verse 4. Trust me. We're going to come back to verse 4. But God... Even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. Verse 1, you were dead in the sins and trespasses in which you once walked, but God, you're alive. Wow. Look at verse 2. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. But God, verse 6, raised us up with him and seated us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So, you're no longer dead, you're alive. You're no longer following the course of this air or the world, sorry, excuse me, following the course of this world, following Satan in the desires of your flesh and the desires of your mind. Instead, you have been changed, transformed, and now God has placed you in heaven with Christ. You have been raised. You're no longer in this earth anymore. You're, you're raised. And then verse 3, the tail end of verse 3. We're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Scroll with me to verse 7. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So, you now have a different destiny in Christ. But God, you once were a child of wrath, but God, now God will spend the coming ages, plural, meaning many, meaning eternity, showing off the lavish riches of His grace toward you. You have a different destiny. Unbelievable. I skipped over a couple of words there in verse 4. I want to go back there. But God, and then in my Bible, I don't know if, if there's one in your Bible, there's a comma. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, comma, even when we were dead. So, Think about that comma in the same way as this sentence. Mr. Zanger, comma, teacher at Nebraska Christian, comma, is husband to Lori and father of four. What does that comma do? Describes me, right? It describes me. It says, hey, here's some additional information about Mr. Z. Paul here adds some additional information about God. That is vital for you to understand the but God of verse 4. But God, comma, being rich in mercy. Rich. This is massive wealth of mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us. And then it brings about verses 5 and 6. And then I want to 
Go from verse 4 to verse 7 because it's all just kind of linked in there together. But God, rich in mercy, the great love with which he loved us, verse 7, in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. Guys, I, I, I want you to see this. This is unbelievable. The Apostle Paul is in prison as he is writing this. So the Apostle Paul, of all people, could be bitter. Oh, look at me. I preach the gospel. I go and do all of these things. Man, this is the thanks I get, God? I'm in prison? No. Paul looks at his life, sees his own deadness, and sees, wow, what is this that made me alive together with Christ? It's great riches of mercy. It is great love. It is the immeasurable riches of his grace that made me alive together with Christ. Flip back a chapter with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Verses 3 to 14 are one really, really long run-on sentence that would make our English teachers vomit. But Paul does it in the Greek. And I want to point out two things to you, and I'll try to, I'll try to read them loudly into the text. The first thing I want you to see is how all of this is based on your, I'm going to make up a word here, in Christ Okay, so if you are in Christ, look at what God has done for you. And then the second thing, actually there's three things. The second thing in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14 is, I want you to see the, what other word could I use? The riches of his grace. I'll try to point that out to you as well. And then the third is our response to it. So, the in Christness. Of chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, the rich lavishness of the grace of God in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, and then number three, our response to it. Okay? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. You are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, everything you need is in Christ. Oh, Christian, get that. Everything you need is given to you in Christ. Even as he chose us in him, there it is again, chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons, here it is again, through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. You're blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You're predestined in Christ. You're adopted in Christ. You are now blessed again in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. And then just, just oh, according to the riches of his grace. Here it is again. The riches of his grace. 
which he lavished upon us. Okay, we're going to have Thanksgiving here soon. We're in October. We're about to go to Thanksgiving. And, and when you go to grandma's house and she lavishes upon you extra desserts, you're like, yes, I love my grandma. And then you think about the reality of God lavishing upon you the riches of his grace. It's like, you want an extra helping? Bam! How about a little bit more? Bam! I can't even comprehend the grace of God in Christ for me. I can't even explain it. Which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Here it is again. In him you have obtained an inheritance. Some of you might have rich fathers or a rich grandpa. And, and you're just kind of, this is, this is bad. You're just kind of waiting for your inheritance. Because maybe that's what's going to put you through college. That's what's going to buy your car. That's what's going to pay off your house when you're older. And yet we have an inheritance from God in Christ Jesus. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, here it is again, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So in him, oh, just see it. See it, folks. Every spiritual blessing. In him, redemption through his blood. In him, an inheritance. In him, salvation. In him, sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So the Spirit of God comes and dwells in you. And that is the down payment of the inheritance you are to receive, eternal life forever, God forever. And if that's not an inheritance, you can jump around about I don't know. God, open their eyes. That's all I got to say. Open your eyes to see the magnificence of the inheritance that is coming later after you are dead and gone. All of that in Christ. Secondly, I hope you saw, according to the riches of his grace, the lavishing of God. This is not something, God is not a curmudgeon. God's not holding the grace with a tight fist. I will not let this grace go. This is my grace and my grace alone and I do not give it to anybody. No, it's lavish. I give, I give, I give. And then, what is our response to be? To the praise of His glorious grace. Oh, what a privilege, what a joy you have as a Christian to stand before God Almighty and say thank you. 
Oh, what grace it was that taught my eyes to see, that allowed me to see the glory of Christ. Oh, what grace, what immeasurable grace. Flip back with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Here's that word again. Verse 8, by grace have you been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Verse 9, not a result of work so that no one may boast. The entire work of salvation is of grace. You're saved by the grace of God. I just want you to see that. I want you to see that. And Christian, there is no room for boasting. No room. No room for you looking down your bony finger at somebody else who doesn't know Christ and saying, how dare that person act like a dead man? How dare that person walk like a person who is in bondage to Satan? Because that's what they are. We can't boast. We can't boast, Christians. No room for boasting. Of course he chose me. I was the quarterback. No room for boasting. Instead, what do you see? What do you see in verse chapters 1 and 2? It's gift. It's gift. It's gift. It's the, lavishes of, of, it's the lavish grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the lavish gift of God. It's Him just dumping grace upon grace upon love upon you, upon you, upon you. And what do you do? All of it is gift and you receive it with thanksgiving. That's your job. No boasting, but thanksgiving, contentment. I have God, what else do I need? I have Jesus, what can this world do to me? God is my helper. I shall not fear, what shall man do to me? No, I am convinced of this. That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, just in case Paul missed something in Romans 8, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ, love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Your life, Christian, should be a life of thanksgiving, not just a day in November. Not just Christmas morning when you open up the gifts and you, oh, thank you, mommy. mommy. Thank you, mom. Thank you, dad. Thank you, sister. Thank you, brother, for thinking of me and buying me a gift because if you didn't, I would kill you. All of life, all of life is thanksgiving if you are a Christian. My prayer for us is that God would just teach us and help us walk in the reality of the lavish gift of Jesus Christ. Verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I want you to scan back up to verse 2. I want you to see the juxtaposition for a Christian. Verse 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Now you walk in good works. 
which God prepared beforehand for you to do. So you no longer walk in the foolish ways of before. You no longer walk in the deadness of trespasses and sins. You no longer follow the course of this world. You no longer follow the prince of the power of the air. You no longer follow like a dog in heat your passions and your desires. You instead walk in good works which God has prepared beforehand for you to do. So that's the command of Ephesians chapter 2. It's verse 10. And it comes at the end of this very, very long and magnificent paragraph. And so, had I just walked in here and said, hey guys, do good works. Amen. All right, done. 8.05, perfect. Let's go to second hour. All of you would have despaired. Because I can't do good works. Unless I have some fuel, unless I have something firing me up to do it. And here's the fire for your good works. It is the love of God that has been lavishly laid upon you so that you are already in heavenly places. Now, 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 go love your neighbor. Now, because God has forgiven you so much, now, go love that person in your class that you can't stand. Now, go serve. Now, because you see who you were in verses 1 through 3, you see the magnificent grace of God in the but God. Oh, how can I not go serve? Look at what God has done. Look at what God has done for me. Look at what God has done for me. Look at what God has done for you. Just look at it. Just look at it. If I were to put a little microchip behind your left ear and put a little microchip right here and every thought that went through your mind was put up here for every single person in this audience to see, how many of you would still be here 30 seconds into it? Me too. I would go running out of here. I would go running out of here. I'd beat Usain Bolt out of here. That's how fast I'd run out of here. And I would never come back. I would just, I would go as far away from Nebraska as I possibly could, like to Antarctica. I would go as far away from all of you as I possibly could if every thought that I've ever thought is right there, let alone the actions that I've done, or any of that. If it's just right there, bam. And yet God, being rich in mercy, saved you if you're in Christ. And so I, I came here to help you despair of yourself, to not have self-esteem. I didn't come here for that. So to recap, verses 1 through 3 shows us who we really are. And I hope that you see you want to despair of that person. You don't want to be that person. Instead, rely, fall, cling, topple over into faith 
and a continued trust in Jesus. See the but God in verse 4. See the mercy of God. See the, see the unbelievable love of God for you that words can't even do it justice. I can't even express with all the words in the English language the depth and the gravity and the weight and the riches and the awesomeness of the love of God for you in Christ. And I have to say it that way. Last illustration, then I'll close. I tell all of my classes I love you before I leave, before you leave. When the bell rings, I love you, God bless you, you're dismissed. I tell that to all of you, and I do mean that. But there is a love that I have for you that is this deep, but there is a love that I have for my family that's deeper still. Does that change my love for you? No, it's just a deeper love that I have for my family because they're in my family. I would die for them. I would lay down my life for them. I would do whatever it is possible to help them, to walk them through life together. And there is a, for God so loved the world, element to the love of God. There is a general love that God has for the world that is true for every single one of us in this room. God makes the sun rise on the just and the unjust. You don't see dark clouds over the pagan farmlands. You don't see that. You don't see the non-Christians not getting rain on the rain days. You don't see that. There is a general love that God has for the entire world. And then there is a deeper, more abiding in Christ love that he has for you in this room who are under the blood of the Lamb. And that love is incomprehensible. I can't even say enough about it. We would be here until I die. Trying to create adjectives to describe the love of God for you in Christ. And so with that as your fuel, go and love people. Go and serve people. Go and love your neighbor. Go and do those good works that God has commanded you to do and prepared in advance for you to do. I want to quickly read, this was from Charles Spurgeon, how heart-cheering to the believer is the fact that God delights in his redeemed people. God delights in you. Do you ever think about that? If you're in Christ, God is delighting over you. We cannot see any reason in ourselves as to why the Lord should take pleasure in us. We cannot take delight in ourselves. For we have often, so, sorry, for we often have to groan, being burdened, conscious of our sinfulness and deploring our unfaithfulness. We also fear that God's people cannot take much delight in us for they must perceive so much of our imperfections and our follies that they may rather lament our infirmities than admire our graces. So what he's saying there is we despair of ourselves and when other Christians see us, they're like, man, you're, you're doing good for the cause. You're helping the, the Jesus team. You're doing awesome. Man, great. But... We love to dwell on this transcendent truth, this glorious mystery. Hear this, that as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so does our God rejoice over us. Christian, lift up your heads. Lift up your heads. 
God the Father rejoices over you in Christ. Who could have conceived of the eternal one is bursting forth into a song, yet it is written he will take great delight in you. He will rejoice over you with singing. As he looked upon this newly created world, he said it is very good, but he did not sing. As he views the works of providence, I do not read that he sings, but when he gazes on his redeemed people, the purchase of Jesus' blood, his own chosen ones, it seemed as if the great heart of the infinite could restrain itself no longer. But wonder of wonders and miracle of miracles, God the eternal one sings out of the joy of his soul. God Almighty rejoices over you in Christ, O oh, Christian. Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage. Thank you for Paul penning this under the inspiration of the Spirit. I pray, Father, that that same Spirit that inspired Paul to write this would now illumine our hearts and our minds to see the magnificence of Christ. I pray, Father, for hearts that do not know Christ to be strangely warmed by the beauty of Christ, the glory of the gospel, of forgiveness of sins, of redemption, of adoption into sonship of adoption into the family of God. I pray for us as believers who know Christ to rejoice over the fact that Jesus, that, that God the Father rejoices over us in Christ. Help us, Father, to lift up our heads and walk in the light of the beauty of the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.